This is Each for All, the Cooperative Connection on Vancouver Co-op Radio, broadcasting from the unceded traditional and ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh people. This is CFRO 100.5 FM in Vancouver and live online at coopradio.org. I'm your host, Robin Puga. In this episode of Each for All, we bring you another co-op profile, this time with Makehouse Cooperative from Victoria, British Columbia. Makehouse is a local sewing paradise, and we'll learn all about it tonight. We'll be right back on Each for All. Over the last few years, we've been following a lot of transitions of worker co-ops from sole proprietorships. As the aging baby boomers are starting to look at retirement and wrapping up some of the businesses they've developed over the years, many are not wanting to sell out their large corporations or uh, see their hard effort of their business they've created really just fade away. So lots are looking to the workers within the business to take uh, up the helm and become a worker cooperative. We've heard of uh, the Canadian Worker Co-op Federation helping in this transition with a lot of educational resources and funding, as well as Co-ops and Mutuals Canada. This has been one of their uh, big projects of late, working with the CWCF. So uh, it came as no surprise that we found another a worker co-op that just started in December of last year. This is the Makehouse Cooperative, based in Victoria, British Columbia. And it is a very interesting co-op that is grow, has grown out of a 10-year-old sole proprietorship. And now, as of December, has transitioned to a worker co-op. Tonight, we're going to speak with Tanya King. She's the studio manager and board vice president of the Makehouse Cooperative. And we're looking forward to finding out all about how this transition happened to a worker cooperative and the five worker owners there, uh, what was their journey like, and learn some pearls of wisdom if you are thinking about engaging in a transition just like this. And we'll learn about some of the organizations and programs that helped the Makehouse Worker Co-op incorporate Maybe they can help you if you've got an incorporation in mind. Thanks for listening. This is Each for All, the Cooperative Connection on Vancouver Co-op Radio. So I'm on the Zoom with Tanya King. And Tanya is the studio manager, teacher, member owner of the Make House in Victoria, British Columbia. Thanks for joining us today, Tanya. Thank you for having me. The Make House Co-op, how old is your co-op now? So our co-op, we took over officially as a co-op on December 1st of last year. 
Fantastic. I was reading a bit about your history. And so previously, this was a store. And mm-hmm. then you transitioned to become a worker co-op. Can you tell us why that decision was made? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the business actually has been open for uh, 10 years. It was started by Jenny Ambrose. She was the previous owner. She was a sole proprietor of this business. And around May, April, May of last year, she had told us that she wanted to move on and she wanted to sell the business. And my co- colleague, Kat, she was like, oh, I wonder if we can maybe turn this place into a workers co-op. And so she threw out the idea to the rest of the people that may want to be involved. And we were like, oh, that's an interesting idea. And most of us didn't really know what a workers co-op was. So we had to do some research and stuff like that. And we all were like, this sounds like a really cool idea. And it was an easy, it just felt like the right transition for this type of business. We're very much a community space. And so workers co-ops are all about the community, right? And many different aspects. And so it was just a natural transition. So we discussed that with the previous owner to see how she would felt if we bought the business and took it over and turned it into a workers co-op. And she was very supportive of that. That's interesting and exciting. So how did the worker co-op model come to Kat's interest? Kat previously worked for a workers co-op back in Ontario, and it was a grocery store, actually. I believe it was a grocery store or a health food store. And so she worked there for a period of time, and she actually had the idea that she wanted to eventually open up a workers co-op here in Victoria. I think it was not the idea of what we have right now, like the store that we have. It was a different idea. I can't quite remember what it was, but then it just popped in her head being like, we should do this as the workers go up. And uh, yeah, it was just a really great natural transition. And we had to go through a lot of training and, and like our own self-education and stuff like that. And there's a lot of different aspects that kind of went into the transition of this and what we had to do and stuff like that. So I'm sure you'll probably ask questions. About yeah, that. I'm very curious what, yeah, I'm very curious what that transition looks like. Because I think a lot of folks, uh, are hearing a, about these transition of worker cooperatives from traditional uh, investor-owned businesses. Yeah. Uh, what does that look like? What did the training feel mm-hmm. like? What did you work through with your group? So we first off worked with and connected with the CW, the CWCF, which is the Kenyan Workers Co-op Federation. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, so we connected with them and they had they always have this one hour sort of intro to workers co-ops. And so it gave us an idea what they were like and how they work and stuff like that. And so we took that to initially be like, okay, is this something what we really want to do? And then we were like, yeah, this it all hit home to us of yeah we've been working towards stuff like this like all of us in some capacity it also works with our values our own personal values and how we view community and the environment and the economy and yeah it was just we were like okay let's go for it and then there so the cwcf does a training program every year and they take in different groups and we applied for it and we got in and we also got funding for it too. The nice thing is we only had to pay like a certain, like a small amount um, to be able to get into it because we actually got funding from the CWCF to be able to do the training program. And that training program entails taking you through every step that's going to work for your particular transition or whether you're working from scratch. And there was three 
I think there was three groups that was within the training program. And we met every, I think every two weeks for a certain period of time. And we were the only out of the three groups that was actually a transition from a sole proprietorship into a workers co-op. And the two other were working from scratch, but it was really amazing to work with the two other groups as well, because they had different ideas and they were setting up slightly different cooperatives. So for one was actually doing something that was in fashion, which was really cool. And the other one was doing something in food and be able to bring black women into like their own sort of workers own sort of business sort of thing that had to do around food and growth and stuff like that. So it was really cool to work with those two groups. But then eventually got to a point where one of the groups had to drop out. And, and then the way that we had to go through the program was different from the other groups. We really went fast in our transition because of the timeline that we had for when the previous owner wanted to sell. And so we accelerated through the program, (laughs) but we didn't, and then we're still getting some mentorship from the CDWCMF and from our, and from our mentor. And we still, and so we're still getting some help from them and we're getting also mentorship from other groups and stuff like that too to help us in this transition it's not a fast it was a fast acceleration to be able to open to transition but it's still a slow process of working everything out to understand what it's like to actually run and own and operate a workers co-op because a lot of that is in the background but then we're still running our foreground of our business right so it's a lot but we love it was the right decision for us that's that sounds very exciting and as you mentioned it was december last year so not very long ago at all that you made the transition And we're still like finding our feet and like working things out and stuff like that. Yeah. And to give you a bit of a, like a basis of who's in the business and stuff like that and who's worker owners, we started out with five of us. So it's myself. And then it was Kat Kempfield. So Catherine Kempfield, Rhonda Hart, Chris Bowen, and Aaron Pollock. <laughs> So it's basically the five of us and we are, so when it says member owner, it means that we're also the members of the board of directors. So how the workers co-ops works is that you have your foreground business and then you have a background business and uh, the background running of the co-op where you have a board of directors and those board of directors basically have one vote into saying how the business is going to be run in the foreground essentially. And so the five of us are part of that. We do have other members of our team that are not members, but they are working for us. We possibly will have one or two that will join, but they haven't decided yet. So we have one contract teacher who's been with us for a long time. That is Jay Scott. Um, And then we also have Alice Haas. She's been with us for a long time. So she is now a full-on staff member. She used to be a a contract teacher, but she's actually a staff teacher now. And she also works in the store sometimes. And then we also have Heather. And she recently joined us not that long ago, a couple months ago. And she's still under probation, whether or not she's going to join as a member owner. And then I believe that is it. 
Yes. And with that transition, uh, I'm for those who aren't very familiar with that sole proprietorship to worker co-op transition, this is something we talk about uh, quite a bit on Each For All, and it's become a, I don't want to say a trend, but it, I guess it's like a trend. People are looking for innovative solutions, especially for some, for lack of a better term, baby boomers who have their businesses that are now retiring instead of shutting them down or selling them to some large corporation, looking to see the fruits of their labors continue in a positive community building aspect. What does that look like on the ground for somebody in your shoes who is looking to become that worker owner? You have to essentially buy the business and mm -hmm. at the same time, build your worker cooperative structure and governance model and write your rules and, uh, like, I guess I'm curious, like, how expensive is it to buy someone's business? And how do you finance that? Yeah, so our, our like, story is actually quite unique. So two of our co-op members actually put some money down because they were able to, but the rest of the team was not able to. So we actually got funding. And we also had certain, I can't totally go into it, but we also had a payment plan that we've done with the previous owner. So we laid out a legal payment plan in order for us to be able to purchase the business in the time that we needed to. And then we also had to get funding. We actually had to get startup funding because we had enough to be able to pay for the first payment from the two worker owners who put their payments in. But then we realized, wait a minute, we don't have startup costs. <laughs> like we don't have startup funding. We need startup funding because when you transition to a new business, it's not like the other stuff transitions over. It's gone because the owner has left. Right. So we're like, oh my God. So we were very, very lucky to be able to get funding from the Thrive Impact Fund. And they are amazing. They were, they've been incredible. And they've also with, the fund becomes training and mentorship. So that has been absolutely incredible. If it wasn't for them, we would not have been able to start up. And the nice thing is, is we have a shoe in with it, with one of our member owners knowing that particular person or having a connection with the person who actually runs the sector here. Emmeline, she was able to meet with us and make sure all of our ducks were in the row and stuff like that. And make sure all of our numbers looked correct and stuff like that so that we would get the right funding for what we needed. And so that's been incredible. Yeah. And Very so that, cool. that was super, super helpful. So that is how we were able to do it. And then also we are going to be applying for grants this year to be able to be able to hopefully either do the rest of it payments or whatever, or to be able to use it for other things that we need for development of our business. That's pretty great. And is that stuff you need to pay back eventually? If with grants, not oh, usually. Cool. So grants is just they give you the money. Yeah. But if you were to apply for another funding or another loan or something like that, because the funding that we've got through the Thrive Impact is actually a loan. So it does have to be paid back. But the the terms that we've had with it is, are fantastic. I can't actually talk about the terms, but the terms yeah. are like, we're perfect. It worked really great for us. And they made it make sure that it was going to work for our business because of the transition. Yeah, we've been extremely blessed and honored to be able to have the mentorship that we've had and the help that we've had to be able to do this. They, people have backed us up. They're like, this is an amazing business. It's been an incredible business for 10 years. 
and these people want to take it over and they want to grow it and they want to continue and they want to make this thing like really an incredible thing in the community and beyond. And we want to do other, eventually we want to open other locations and stuff like that. We have a lot of people backing us up for that. So we feel like it's really blessed. So tell us a bit about the business because it's really interesting to hear that story, but Obviously, this is a very important business for your community and has some community impact there. What is it that the Make House does? Okay, so the Make House is a sewing studio and also a retail store where we sell different products and materials, notions, all kinds of stuff for a lot of things that are catered to our classes, but anything a little bit beyond that, we also sell kits. So the crafting kits, embroidery kits, all kinds of stuff like that, little knickknacks and stuff like that for sewing related or craft related. And then of course our studio is where we teach all of our classes. So we teach classes for ages eight, all the ways up to 80. So we do all ages. Um, mostly all ages of classes for different levels. So we do kids classes for beginner, building them up into our teen classes. And then we have our adult classes that take you right from beginner to advanced. So we have all kinds of different really cool classes to teach. And we have multiple teachers, including myself. I'm one of the in-house teachers. I've been teaching here for seven years. And so we, that is the main it's, it's full 50% of our business is the classes, but that's the main anchor that keeps our community going. It's an opportunity for people to come in into a nice cozy space, be able to learn and feel comfortable. We have a lot of people have told us that our space is like coming to a second home. We're coming home again. And we really anchored into creating a space like a sanctuary, a safe space for people to be able to come and be creative. It's really hard for a lot of people to be creative. And if they don't feel safe, they don't want to create. And so that's what we've created here for people is to be able to come in. It's open. It's bright. It's colorful. And the teachers are super welcoming and really patient with everybody. And so, yeah, that's the basis of what we do in the general aspects and stuff like that. And then we also reach out to the community as well. So we are continuing to reach out where we do different events in the community. We also teach at different schools sometimes, and we're going to be trying to build that a little bit more. We used to do that before the pandemic, and then we kind of had to take a hiatus, and we're trying to build that up again, because we are a community space. So bring out in the community and connecting to other spaces that are similar to us is a really big part of building and growing and being connected to the community. And what uh, is the co-op community like in Victoria nowadays? So we are actually the only co-op worker, like workers co-op that is in our sector. Only one in Victoria. <laughs> We feel special, but also at the same time, it's wow. And we're maybe one of three across Canada, something like that. So there's not very many workers co-ops in this sector. So it's like, we want to be able to inspire other people who are working in this sector to be able to also do it as well, because I think it's going to be really helpful. The one thing is it's very difficult in the arts and creative community to be able to have sustainable jobs. And the one thing about have our working as co-op is creating sustainable jobs in your sector. And so we really want to be able to show other people that you can do it and have sustainable 
really healthy jobs for people where they go to work, they really love it. And it's like part of their life that it's not taking over their life type of thing. Yeah, we want to, we're hoping that we're not going to be the only one, <laughs> but there's not too many workers co-ops here in Victoria. We know Phillips Brewery just turned into a workers co-op, which is really cool. There's a couple other ones that are coming up. There's a, I think there's a lot of farming sort of grocery store type of ones that are coming up. I'm not too familiar with too many of them because there's not a lot in Victoria, but there's a few that are coming. So we're really happy about hearing about Phillips Brewery being turned into Workers' Co-op because they've been a long-standing business in the community for a long time. And they're quite community-based as well. So it's really great. Yeah. That's cool. I didn't know that, but I will definitely follow up with them. Yeah, um, I would connect with them and be like, hey, we just heard that you turned over to a Workers' Co-op. Yeah, that'd be another great profile. Love being able to purchase things from co-ops and beer and yeah. Ah, <laughs> but I'm also stoked to see that you are offering things online for purchase as well. Absolutely. So it's not just in your store. No, it's not just in our store. We've had purchases from mostly of always like within local and across Canada and also in the States and sometimes other places throughout the world. We've had people come and purchase that stuff from our store, which is really cool because we try to carry unique stuff that is local or at least Canadian or at least close to that. We do have some stuff from other parts in the States and other places. But we try to be as sustainable as possible as well. Because one thing about running a workers' co-op and one thing about our Thrive Impact Fund is we have to meet uh, three different levels of um, impact that we are creating with our community. So having impact in your community, which has always been a really strong base for us, impact on the economy, how that is creating sustainability, and then impact onto the, so impact ecologically as well. So how are we doing that? So a lot of our fabrics and our materials that we purchase and sell in our store are on the sustainable end and natural end of things. So we do carry a lot of Ecotex sort of stuff or Ecotex sort of certified materials. And then also we, we collect our scraps in our studio and those get donated or moved on or used into other projects in our studios kids will use it for stuffing instead of using the polyfill stuffing which we still have but we try to get them to use up the scraps and show them how to how they can use their scraps so we're starting very young and being like hey you know what you can use those little pieces of scraps for like other projects and creating like a scrappy stuffy or something like that. And then we're also teaching a lot of different classes that are based on that too. So we have an alterations and mending class. We have a new teacher that's, I guess, teachers that's going to come in and teach the mending workshop for the week of fashion evolution, revolution. So that one, uh, so we're going to have that. And then we're going to be building some other classes around sustainability, how you could take old clothes and making them into new. And we used to do that before. We're really excited about bringing those classes back. So the sustainability is a huge part of our business. Community is a huge part of our business. And also just impacting it in the economy as well when it comes to our employees. And then also just reaching that out into the community being like, hey, we can make sustainable jobs, but we're also a sustainable business. One question I do like to ask co-ops that have either recently started up or have been around for a while is, do you have any pearls of wisdom for people who are looking to start a cooperative like yours, or perhaps make that transition from that sole proprietorship to a cooperative? Hi. Yeah. Oh my God. Patience. <laughs> do your research. And also 
we had to jump through some red hoops, not red hoops, but some hoops. <laughs> I guess they're not, I was putting red flag and hoops in there, but we had to jump through some hoops doing this, getting our business run and it definitely stressed us out a little bit. So if I could give any, absolutely any advice for somebody is when you are registering your business, they don't tell you on the registration, especially if you're doing this in BC, if you're registering for your business, they don't actually tell you that you are not automatically going to get your business number and that you need to contact a CRA to be able to get your business number in time. And the problem is during that time period, not knowing that we were trying to get a um, bank account open. We, and this was like literally 10 days before we were opening and we didn't have a bank account and you cannot open a business without a bank account. And oh my God, me and Kat were at the CWCF conference and we're like, what is going on? How are we going to get this sorted out? We got Aaron, who is our financial officer, who is like trying to get a contact with the CRA and they're like, it's going to take 30 days. And we're like, we don't have 30 days to get our business number. And so one thing I love about workers co-ops and the community of workers co-ops is they band together to help each other out. And that's like the main thing about the community thing is people are just coming together to help. So we talked to our mentor. He was like, I have somebody you can talk to. They came to us. It was a particular bank, Community Savings. We saved our lives, Community Savings. Thank you very much. They were able to open up a bank account without a business number. Awesome. So that was amazing. But wisdom advice is you need to contact the CRA. Once you've registered for your business, contact CRA so you automatically can get your business number because they actually automatically do not do it. So for sole proprietorships and other businesses, you automatically get your number. But if you're a workers co-op, you do not. Okay. Yeah. So that is one thing that we're just like, oh my God, if you're doing that, make sure you do that because we don't want other people to go through the same hoops that we had to and the stress that we had to. You're going to have a little bit of stress anyways. But yeah, other pieces of wisdom, have a lot of patience, do your research, connect with yourself, make sure this is something you actually want to do. It's a lot of work, but it's extremely rewarding to be able to have amazing people to work with, to grow something that's really cool, that's within your values. If you don't think it's within your values, don't do it. Connect to the CWCF, connect to your local workers co-ops associations, ask them for help. They are there to help you. And don't be afraid. Don't think that you can do this on your own because you can't. You cannot do this on your own, but you're going to be okay if you ask for help because everybody is out there to willing to help you. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I think we came to the end of our time here and I really appreciate you sharing with us the story of the Make House Co-op. It's phenomenal. Thank you very much for having me. And it's been a pleasure to talk about it. I love talking about our business. I think it's just a really great transition that we did. And I hope other people are inspired to go and do it themselves as well. I'm sure they will be. Okay. I literally could keep talking about this for a long time because it's super interesting, but we should I probably... <laughs> I also wanted to ask because I'm a very amateur sewer. I don't know what to okay. call myself, but anyway, I, yeah, I like hem in my own pants, fix on my own stuff if I've got holes in my whatever. But I noticed that your favorite thing to make is pants. And yeah. I so want to make my own pants at some <laughs> day. But um, yeah, do you teach courses in that? 
I do. That I teach that's called Let's Parents. I'm racing off David Bowie. I'm from the 80s. So dance. We're going to let's parents because at the end of making your pants, you're going to want to dance. <laughs> that's kind of the thing that I start the class off with. And sometimes I get crickets and sometimes I get a lot of people. Super excited. <laughs> so yeah, I love making pants. It's been something that I've been honing into for a very long time. Mm. I've been sewing for over 25 years. I used to work in the industry doing all kinds of stuff. But one thing that I found in the last probably about five to 10 years, a lot of my own personal wardrobe changed. And I just loved making pants. So I just really honed into working what pants worked for me, what I liked making. And then I decided a few years ago where I was like, I want to, I want to teach a pants course. People want to know how to make pants and it's not really easy to make pants. Yeah. It's actually quite difficult because you got two legs and you got hips that move and you got to sit down, you got to stand up, you got to walk, you got to go yeah. upstairs. And so pants are really not the easiest thing to fit. So I do a course on teaching people how to fit and make pants. So how to properly fit them. If I was in Victoria, I would sign up. There, I actually want, I have this favorite style of pant, which they don't make anymore. And I've worn them all out. And I was like, I just want to make, use that as a pattern and make my own. But anyway. You can, <laughs> you can actually clone them. So yeah, that's what I would love to do. Parts and cloning clothes where you could take it apart or you can copy it yeah. and make those pants yourself. Because if they fit you and they work, that's one thing that I teach people how to do as well. That's so cool. Yeah, super fun. I love being able to show people how to drape and how to like work with their patterns and get the right fit. And that's the thing that I hone in. And especially when it comes to pants. <laughs> pants. Yeah. Yeah. Really so, cool. Yeah. Thanks so much, Tanya. I'm going to, I guess I should stop this recording here. That was Tanya King, studio manager and board vice president of the Make House Co op in Victoria, British Columbia. We're wishing them all the best for the future and looking forward to checking in with them again soon. If you are interested in finding out more about transition from a sole proprietorship organization model to a worker co-op model, please do visit the Canadian Worker Co-op Federation website. That's canadianworker.coop. Also, Co-ops and Mutuals Canada has additional information about this subject and they are at canada.coop. If you're looking to find the Makehouse, do check them out online, themakehouse.ca, and you can order stuff from them online there. So if you're looking for some cooperatively supported sewing materials, do check them out, themakehouse.ca. I'm your host, Robin Puga, and you're, of course, listening to Vancouver Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM in Vancouver, or on Kootenai Co-op Radio, CJLY 93.5 FM in Nelson, British Columbia.